Welcome to the Success Addicts. You are stepping into a conversation where I ask the questions that you're thinking of to people that strive for success in all different areas of life, business, faith, health, and more. So ask yourself this one question. Are you ready to master your journey of success? In this episode, your mind will shift the way you think about money and how it should be implemented in a free market society. Natalie Brunel is a Bitcoin educator and media commentator. She dives into her early career in media and how she made the shift to becoming a self-made entrepreneur in the Bitcoin arena by traveling the world to speak to high profile leaders. I was in a position where I just decided to take the risk. I was getting some offers to monetize. Enjoy the episode and fair warning, you may become addicted. Hey, Natalie, I appreciate you coming on. How's everything going? Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm doing really well. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I appreciate your time. So I guess to start off, just kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background and and just kind of where you're up to today. Uh, Sure. So my name is Natalie Brunel. I host a podcast that's mainly about Bitcoin and the state of our economic and financial system. It's called Coin Stories. Um, I also host a a video news show that just came out recently called Hard Money. And then I go on TV and I talk about Bitcoin and I travel the world and educate people about Bitcoin. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, And how did you get into Bitcoin? I mean, was this something that you've you've been in day one or is this kind of a I new, wish. new thing for you. <laughs> I wish I was one of those OGs that has been in the space since, you know, 2012. I'd be, I'd be very wealthy right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. So my story is kind of interesting. I was a journalist. I was a TV broadcaster for about 10 years and I discovered Bitcoin about five years ago, 2017. And when I first heard about it, I, I didn't think much of it, to be honest. I um, thought it was just kind of maybe like a, the latest tech trend, or it was like a stock or because it was digital, it could potentially be hacked or it was vulnerable, you know, to being lost. Um, and I just, I really didn't even understand why it existed. And then I had a mentor of mine who I talked about work and financial topics to. He, he decided to read about the book, uh, or he, he decided to pick up the book, the Bitcoin standard, because I told him I had bought some of the, this Bitcoin. And uh, he came back to me and he said, you know, Nat, you don't even know what you bought. Like this, this could actually transform the financial system. You should really read this book. And uh, so I read the book and it really changed my course. It really changed my life. I uh, finally, for the very first time, understood sort of why the problems in our current financial system exist and how Bitcoin was trying to address those very problems through technology. And I became very passionate about it because a lot of the problems that I see, um, you know, existing today, especially in the U.S., Um, I had been reporting on those problems for about 10 years, and I didn't think that there was a lot of hope in fixing them until I learned about Bitcoin. And so that's why I decided to just focus my attention and energy on what I think could actually make the world really a better place. No, that's awesome. And so I kind of want to just talk about your, your, so you were in a news, you were in news. Okay. So you're in journalism and, and how did, so how did you make that shift to kind of what you're doing now? Was it because of Bitcoin? 
Yes, it was because of Bitcoin and it took a bit. Um, so I first, you know, I went down the rabbit hole, so to speak, of Bitcoin. And I, I read a lot of books, not just about the Bitcoin technology, but also about our financial system, the history of money, the Federal Reserve, gold. Like I just went really deep, really far. Um, you know, kind of gave myself my own little degree in economics. <laughs> and um and then I thought, you know, I want to put some of this information out there. So I started recording podcast episodes within this space with some of the prominent names. I would just, I would reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, I want to learn more about your background and what your career was like and how you ultimately found Bitcoin and why you believe in it. And I started posting those episodes and it was just like a, a hobby, a side project, a side passion project. And um, those episodes, I, I launched it last June, actually, which is crazy. It's oh, been wow. a little more than a year. I had like 2000 followers on Twitter. Nobody knew me. <clears throat> and then the podcast really found an audience very quickly. I got bigger and bigger guests. And then by October of last year, I was in a position where I just decided to take the risk. I was getting some offers to monetize and do some educational things. And so I said, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I've never gone off on my own. I've always worked in corporate media, but I really believe in this. And I think that there's value that I can bring because of my communication background. So I'm just going to leave my job. And I left my job and I haven't looked back. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's that's an amazing story. And, and that's a success story just in itself. Um, so before we kind of dive into, into Bitcoin, I think what you mentioned, a lot of people struggle with, I mean, they have passions, they have side hustles on the side and, you know, maybe they're not fulfilled with what they're doing full time. Um, so kind of making that shift, you know, what did you have to go through mentally? Was there, you know, Venn diagrams or pros and cons or things that you kind of had to dive in before you made that shift? Um, uh, just kind of speak to if somebody else is out there looking to make the same shift, I'd like to you to shed some light on that process. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was just so it was just budgeting, you know, so I, I really believed in it. And once I started to get interest in terms of being able to potentially monetize and getting some offers and some opportunities to partner, I just thought, you know, okay, well this right as it stands right now, it's not enough to like make up for what I'm my salary and all of that but what if it could grow? You know, I, I want to see if it could grow. So I, I sort of said to myself, okay, well, let's say it doesn't work out. I, I'm going to give myself a year and, um, I'm going to live off of savings essentially. Like, let's say I don't make any, <laughs> anything at all. You know, how much would I need in order to just meet my expenses for my rent, my food, my, uh, I actually didn't have a car at the time. Uh, so just my, my, my living expenses. And I said, okay, I, I have that amount. And I'm willing to spend all of this if it, if, if I bring in no income for a year. Uh, and that's when I like jumped ship. And fortunately I didn't have to worry about it or dip into my savings. I actually was able to monetize very quickly. Um, and so I just think people need to budget and know what's realistic because for me, I didn't have like a family that I was supporting. And so my expenses weren't as, um, you know, as, as deep and extreme as some people have. And, uh, and I really just, I really believed in it because I felt like there was um, kind of a, a niche that wasn't being filled. And that was, there aren't a lot of women and there aren't a lot of news or communication driven people within the space. So, you know, it's one thing like a podcast, like every, everybody and their dog has a podcast in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, but, you know, but I tried to find the thing that that didn't really exist or there was very few of. And for me, that was a woman who could educate and who, who could speak about the message of Bitcoin in a concise way. And I just decided like, 
that that's my opportunity. That's the door. Um, so I think people also need to identify that, you know, not only on the financial side, but like, are you venturing out into a world or an industry or a project where there's literally a ton of competition or where you're really trailblazing and you're one of the first. And I felt like I was going to be one of the first. So I wanted to jump at it. No, I think that's awesome. Uh, that's amazing advice. Um, so now kind of diving into the Bitcoin stuff a little bit. So we started diving into books when you were doing journalism, were you, was it money talk or anything like that when you were doing journalism? No, when I was in journalism, I was like breaking news, general assignment and investigative. So I did a lot of public corruption stories. I did a lot of crime. I did a lot of breaking news. I mean, I've, it's, I've done it all. Uh, I worked in small towns. I worked in capital cities. I worked for a national network, uh, international, like I've done it all. Um, but no, I did not do a lot of financial stories. And actually when I learned about Bitcoin, it kind of put a spotlight for me on the fact that in our country, even though we have this supposedly good education system. Um, we have very poor financial literacy, financial literacy and education uh, in, in that realm. And people really don't understand how investing works and how the stock market works and uh, what money printing is and whether there are different theories that exist about whether inflation is good or not. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about the education side, because until you have that, you don't appreciate things like Bitcoin as much. Yeah. And you had to self-educate to, to yeah. get that. And, uh, yeah. you know, as simple as people don't even know how to open up a checking or savings account. So true. Yeah. Bitcoin, I'm sure is probably much more difficult to wrap their head around. And so the issues is kind of what, what brought you in, kind of drew you yeah. in is seeing the issues of our current financial state and, and how Bitcoin can kind of be that solution. So I want to, I want to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, Bitcoin, um, I have an ideological mission because I really believe that the American dream should be something that everyone can achieve if they work hard and, you know, they're good people. Um, the American dream to me represents really what the middle class was, you know, maybe two, three decades ago, you can afford a house and um, an education for your kids. And they have a safe place to live, a nice neighborhood. Maybe you go on vacation once a year. It's nothing really that extravagant, right? Like to right. me, that's like the simple all American life. Uh, and I just feel like uh, watching what's happened over the last two decades, um, it's harder and harder to achieve that dream. Our middle class is really getting squeezed. It's becoming a smaller and smaller portion of our society, whereas the upper echelon, that like top 5% is getting more and more of the slice of the pie, whereas everyone else um, is sort of, it feels like it's like starting to be a situation of fighting for scraps at the bottom. And we do have things on the extreme levels of poverty and homelessness increasing. And it just feels strange that in a world in a time where we live in, you know, this, this, a country that's based on, supposed to be based on capitalism and the American dream and one where technological advancements are happening, you know, so rapidly, why is the quality of life getting worse in some ways or more difficult to achieve? Like there's, there's a reason for it. And I think a lot of people are blind to it because we have a situation where politicians all just want to blame one another and we fit, you have to fit into one bucket or another, and it's all very polarizing. But the truth is, is that our money system is broken. Um, we were founded on the ideals, the principles of capitalism, but in capitalism, that means free markets. And that means that um, people have more equal access to opportunity and things are actually allowed to fail. And in our system today, 
we have a government which can print money basically to infinity. Um, that money is no longer backed by anything that's scarce. It once was backed by gold. It now it's just debt. We're just going further and further and further into debt. That money lands first in the hands of the biggest corporations, the biggest individuals, the people who have the most money. They purchase up, they gobble up all the assets, all the stocks, they do stock buybacks, they make themselves more wealthy, they buy up all the homes, everyone, they become landlords, everyone becomes a renter. It really exacerbates wealth disparity and concentration in our country. And then the people, everyone else feels crushed, right? You feel like, why can't I afford my house? Why, why can't I afford to buy a new house? Why can't I afford my kids' co college education? Why yeah. can't I, you know, everything's getting more expensive and I'm making the same amount of money. You're like working hard harder for money that's worth less in, in a sense. And, and I think that that puts like a lot of pressure on society. It makes people feel really frustrated and, and, and honestly start to take teams like, cause, cause no one knows who to blame. Mm. Um, and in the system too, it's like these companies that we've created again, not, this is not capitalism. There's rent seeking where people can like pay for political influence and there's no consequences when things go bad because a bank or a corporation can take too much risk. And if it's big enough, the, the uh, government will come in and bail them out. And so the taxpayers are on the hook for all of it. So like, that's not capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's <laughs> just not. And so it makes me sad that we now exist in a system like this because most people, again, don't realize that at the center of most of their problems is the fact that it's so hard to save today. Everyone's in debt and the money, you can't put it in the bank because it earns like basically negative yield when you count, uh, when you factor in inflation, you have to basically hire a portfolio manager to figure out your stocks. Um, bonds are no longer a good investment because they're also yielding negative returns. Or you have to be, try to get a second mortgage to like become a land. I mean, it's crazy. Why okay. does it have to be so hard to earn your money and maintain its value and purchasing power? And so that's why, again, like we needed a solution and Bitcoin is this beautiful solution that rose from the ashes. And so Bitcoin specifically, or, you know, like I kind of want to dive into Bitcoin specifically. And, you know, there's a lot of options out there within cryptocurrency and the blockchain. And mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. So for people that really don't know about that, I, I kind of want you to, you know, kind of yeah. talk about that as well. Yeah. So Bitcoin is um, the first true blockchain. Uh, and a blockchain is basically a digital ledger. So think of it as an accounting ledger, right? This person sent this amount of Bitcoin to this person, it was received, and it keeps um, it keeps a, a list of, of those transactions. And once the list gets filled, it, basically it's a block that gets changed to another block. So, so chains on the blockchain are basically lists of transactions. That's the simplest way to put it. Um, so Bitcoin was the original use case for this technology, really. And the reason that Bitcoin is so powerful is that it's very similar to the internet. So this is the this is the easiest way that I can I can think of as like a metaphor. The internet has no CEO. It has no headquarters. It has no central point of failure. It's owned by no one. It's not controlled by anyone. No one can do something to the internet and affect it all over the world, right? You can't ban the internet. You can't kill the internet. And it relies on electricity and power. 
all of those things, I just described Bitcoin as well. It's completely decentralized. There's no one controlling it. Um, the way that it was programmed in the same way the internet or our uh, email protocols, it just, the, the code is out there open for anyone to see. And that code is distributed among computers all over the world. They maintain that digital ledger, the blockchain. They update it. They verify um, the transactions. And essentially, it's, it's owned and operated by the people who use it. It's extremely powerful. So it's decentralized. That's one of the best, you know, one of the most important aspects of it. And then the second thing is it's scarce. So when the um, transactions are verified, there's a reward for that process for the people, the miners, the computers that do that. It's called the block reward. And that is it creates Bitcoin. It's this token that essentially carries more and more value as people hold it. And that's kind of the, the idea behind it. It creates a form of new money that's backed by this computer network. Um, and so the reason that that's important is there's no one that could ever change the amount of Bitcoin that will ever be in existence. So whereas in our current system, the, the government could print and go further and further into debt and just issue checks and like then inflation increases and money gets, you know, goes to certain aspects of society. This is, it was coded to have 21 million Bitcoin ever to come into existence on a very specific schedule. And that's it. Once 21 million Bitcoin are mined, there are no more. So it's a deflationary or disinflationary system, whereas we live in an inflationary system. Um, so it's very unique. Uh, the other cryptocurrencies out there, some have tried to copy Bitcoin. They don't have the size, the scale, the decentralization, the scarcity. People can expand the supply. There are usually people who decide what is going to happen with that coin. There's like a, a CEO or a board of directors or like someone in charge. Um, so people have to be really careful because you can make a profit, but you could also lose a lot. You could be the one holding the bag in a venture capital backed product that, you know, someone started, made a bunch of money on and then left the, left everyone else holding the bag. So very, very different. And I, and I urge people to, to make sure that they take a little time to study because Bitcoin is not the same as crypto at large. Right. And, and so is Bitcoin the only coin uh, that, or the cryptocurrency that doesn't have, like you said, the CEO or the team or the, like, is it the only one? I think that there are some others that have tried to copy it, but again, network effect is really important. So the way that I liken that, I love internet comparisons because I just think that they're the easiest to understand. Mm -hmm. um, anyone can create a search engine, right? But recreate Google or, or make it so that the Google is now the number one in the world. Right. It's really, really hard once network effect in a technology really takes off and sparks. So there, anyone can copy, anyone could create exactly what Bitcoin is and how it's coded today. But to have that become the dominant digital asset would be just as impossible as saying right now today, someone create a bigger, better Google. Yeah. No, it's like, you know, and you have the demand, you have the users. So mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to kind yeah. of go up against that. Um, now I do think the skepticism from maybe beginners or just people in general is the fact that there isn't a face or creator behind it. Mm -hmm. So I think the question is, is, you know, I mean, we can speculate and say, all right, this person created it or this per, you know, this country's behind it. So, you know, how do you, you know, find comfort in that? Well, so I actually think that there is so much provenance in the fact that we don't know who created Bitcoin. Um, because again, if we did know the founder, we would want to know everything about him or her. We would like, you know, we would, we would latch onto that. And there would be a sense that it's owned or controlled or operated mm. by someone. It would give it an identity that we can like latch onto. Um, the fact that it's not, 
the fact that we don't know who created it and it was sort of like birthed and, and given to the world and, and, and now is decentralized among millions and hundreds of millions. Uh, I think it was 140 million people have Bitcoin. It was the last, last I read uh, statistic. I think that that's wonderful because we, it reinforces that ethos of no one, it's no one's, it's all of ours. Um, And so I'm glad that we don't know. I think it's fascinating because in a world with technology, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous creator really understood operational security to be able to hide their identity. I mean, to this day, it's debated like, is it this person? Could it be this person? Could it be that person? And no one knows. And I think that that's, we're fortunate. We're fortunate Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, In the same way, like who invented the internet? Do we, do, like, do we know, do we care? Like, so, right. so I just think, uh, I, I look at it that way and I'm really, I, I think it's better for everyone in the long run that we don't know who, no, who I think that's good. Um, and, and it, it's like, I, I like your take because I think their conversation is a lot around cryptocurrency and blockchain, but I also think, you know, for instance, some government, let's say, you know, the United States, and I know there's governments that are doing this where they're putting the currency on the blockchain or, or making it, you know, a cryptocurrency, um, mm-hmm. but they can have some form of control over that mm-hmm. where, yeah. you know, just because it's crypt, you know, on the blockchain or considered crypto doesn't also mean that it's that that it's still a good option. It's like, you know, you got to be specific on what you're what you're choosing. In other words. Yeah. So there are uh, by last count, uh, just about 20,000 cryptocurrencies. Uh, Literally anyone can create one just as easily as anyone can create a website. And so people need to be really careful because scams are prevalent in this in this industry it's also a very nascent industry that's growing and so it's um you know it's it suffers from the volatility of the things happening around it and people can lose their money really quickly and just as quickly as you can get like a you know a meme coin that has a 1 million percent gain you could also lose it the next day so i just yeah. really urge people to be very cautious because with these sort of new technologies, there are scams and there are people who are out for quick profits or to, you know, to, to get your money. And, and Bitcoin is not the same in that way at all. Yeah, no, that's, that's good to shed light on. Um, And I mean, it seems like it's, it's, you know, you're very passionate about this, but not just because of the, the perspective of a new money or new way to look at money, because you mentioned something about, you know, poverty and homelessness. So how can Bitcoin in this space, you know, help, help people in in those areas? Yeah. So my hope is that Bitcoin will create a new economic foundation for us that will have more access to opportunity and will equalize the playing field a little bit. And what I mean by that is going back kind of to what I said before, our current monetary system is one in which it's ruled by the few. And there are people at the top who control how much money is in the system, when it gets, you know, when it, when the supply increases and, and really they control who gets access to it first, our politics and our money are married. (laughs) And that's really, really sad. Right. And so if you have a big corporation, you will have an easier line of credit or you can get some of this money and you can take it and immediately buy back your own stock. And it like fluffs up the value of your company, even if you don't have real growth or real earnings. That's not, you know, that's not real economic value. So like the people at the top are getting access to the money printer and they gobble things up. They gobble things like equities, stocks, they they, um, inflate the stock market. 
they buy up real estate, they inflate real estate. And so now you're an average person in America. You're in the middle class. You're working a nine to five job. Maybe you're an accountant, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're a hairdresser, maybe you're a teacher. Well, that stuff that you need is getting more expensive. The stocks are getting more expensive that you want to try to put in your retirement account. And the house that you want to live in or your children want to graduate and be able to purchase is getting too out of reach because they can't afford the down payment. And you're making probably the same. Maybe you're getting a minimal increase. I don't know, with inflation or not. And, and life's getting harder. And schools, like if you look at schools, all of our loans are backed by the, the federal government. And while people like that's probably a good campaign uh, platform, right? Like I'm going to, we're, we're going to give you guys yeah. uh, federal loans, student back, whatever. Well, the problem is now colleges can get away with charging exorbitant amounts for tuition when again, they're not providing more value or the, the degree's not getting better. It's just, they're charging more because they get a bunch of easy money from, from the government. And so once again, we're creating this system where the top is getting bigger and bigger, the, the 5% that they have like the majority of wealth and everyone else is starting to get frustrated. And so it's not surprising to see people falling into poverty, falling into homelessness, feeling like the, you know, one, I think that I've heard this headline multiple times now, the average family can't afford like a $400 emergency. They just don't have the savings. Nobody has savings. Everybody's going into debt. We have record high consumer debt and credit card debt statistics that came out recently. Well, that has a real impact on life and, and the quality of life and the idea of like what it's like to live in a place like the United States. And I just, I really, I, I think that there needs to be a massive shift in how our economic system functions and how it's valued and how money works, because otherwise this bubble is going to get so much bigger that we are literally going to be a nation of like the ultra rich and the ultra poor. I mean, that's yeah. the direction we're headed in unless we address these very fundamental issues that unfortunately, when I watch the media, my old industry, people are not looking at the right, they're not addressing the right problem. They're blaming each other, all the politicians. It's this guy, it's this guy. I'll yeah. fix it. I'll spend money. No, you're not looking at the money and the money's the problem. Yeah. Follow the money they say, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think in, in the state of kind of crypto and where we're at in the market and people think it's dead or, you know, Bitcoin is no longer a thing. What is your future outlook on this space and, and kind of where we're headed? Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's definitely not, Bitcoin is not dead. I think there's been like 400 reports <laughs> that Bitcoin's dead. Um, like we're, we're experiencing the pain of a, the larger macroeconomic factors that are in play with the federal reserve, raising interest rates, equities, and everything falling liquidity being drawn out from every direction. And Bitcoin is very liquid. It has a lot of people who are traders who profit and thrive on volatility. And it's very like it's nation, nobody, not a lot of people really understand it. There's not a lot of clarity for companies to be able to put it on their balance sheets with fair accounting. That's one of the biggest issues. We don't have a spot ETF where institutions can, or pension funds can invest. So it's just, it's like a baby monetary network and it needs to grow and it's going to be volatile in the short term. But that being said, um, if you take a look at a chart of the purchasing power of the US dollar from 1913 to today, it literally has collapsed more than 90% of its value. And if you take just a four, uh, 13 year zoom out look at Bitcoin during its entire existence, it's gone up almost a million percent. It's, it's the wow. best performing asset of, you know, a decade or more. And if people buy it and then hold it for at least four years, 
you generally are in a pretty good profit or appreciation zone. So, um, you know, I urge people to zoom out and I definitely think that just because it's volatile in the short term, doesn't say anything about the future and what it will be worth, you know, three, four, five years from now. In fact, you know, in investing, when you start to learn about it, this is the time when you're supposed to buy when everyone, when there's blood in the streets, they say you're supposed to be the buyer. You're not supposed to be selling. You're supposed to sell high, buy low, all that. Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely not dead. Whereas the other cryptocurrencies we're seeing, you know, some of those be, uh, washed out, which I think is good. I think it's healthy. I think it's a painful lesson for some people. Some of these companies that people might've heard of that were platforms that either did loans or they issued certain tokens or stable coins, mm-hmm. they were not properly collateralized. They didn't have proper reserves. And unfortunately they, since we aren't, we, this industry is not regulated like the rest of the um, the rest of the banking sector. There is capitalism in, in this aspect, which is that companies are allowed to fail, uh, right. and 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 it's very painful in the short term and for for the investors that put their money in it. But in the long term, it's a cleansing and it's good because it's going to be a, a lesson learned for everybody for sure. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think, you know, like you said, there's 20,000 of of these things, or, you know, you can create it like a website, but just taking the top two, I I would say Bitcoin and Ethereum are are kind of the the two that always come to people's minds. So what is your take on a kind of side-by-side comparison of Bitcoin and Ethereum? Yeah. I mean, they're very, very different. They run on two different consensus mechanisms. Uh, Ethereum is moving to proof of stake, which I think replicates our current system. And it basically means that people who have more Ethereum will have an advantage to be able to verify and get more Ethereum. And I don't like that. I think that's not fair. It's not decentralized. Um, It has someone, Vitalik Buterin, who created it, who, you know, is really at the helm. They've had issues. Um, The supply gets expanded. There's, you know, gas fees that are ridiculously high. They're more than some of the uh, transactions, like the, 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 the transaction fee will be higher than the cost of some of the transactions, which I think right. is crazy too. Um, look, I'm a, ultimately, I'm a believer in free markets. And I know that people like the idea of smart contracts or building on top of Ethereum, yeah. but that is actually that, that technology and those capabilities are also possible on Bitcoin. Smart contracts through recent updates are going to be possible on Bitcoin. So, you know, I, I, I do believe that um, we will live in an ecosystem and a world where multiple digital assets exist, but my money's on Bitcoin being the most successful and the one that holds the most value because again, it addresses so many of these issues that we have in society, um, not just in the US, but also in developing nations which have worse inflation or they have autocratic oppressive governments and they need a we need to bank the unbanked. Like Bitcoin solves a lot of those problems, whereas a lot of the other cryptocurrencies are solutions in search of problems. Mm, yeah. No, that's a good way to explain it. And uh, and so for somebody that's a beginner looking to get educated, obviously mm-hmm. you have your podcast, I'm sure, you know, your website, your your social media accounts where you're, you're giving out all this information, but maybe just a general book, like some of the ones yeah. that you might've read. What are, yeah. what are some, some of the ones that you suggest? Yeah. So I have a couple of books. Um, I'll just name just a handful of them. Uh, number one is the Bitcoin standard. It is the most famous book in the space, and it gives an overview of the history of money and then introduces why Bitcoin exists and and really how it works. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, I would say a really great book is Layered Money by um, Nick Batia, which also gives an overview of just how our financial system works and talks about the new financial system that Bitcoin would create. 
The Bullish Case for Bitcoin by VJ Boyapati. He's an excellent writer. Also talks about really the value proposition of Bitcoin and the cases that are actually for and against it. Um, I would say Price of Tomorrow is a must read. It's not really about Bitcoin. It's by Jeff Booth. And it's about how technology causes deflation. And so things get cheaper and cheaper, right? Like your your iPhone, your TV, like technology is supposed to make everything cheaper. So we have a deflationary technology world that is butt up against a inflationary government monetary system, which is making houses and everything more expensive. And so the two systems are colliding. And he really talks about like what happens with that and the direction we're going in, which leads to more wealth disparity and all these issues with society and how the only way they can continue this balloon or bubble is to keep printing and how bad that is for the average person. So great book. Um, And then the last one I would say is um, I mean, the fiat standard is a follow-up to the Bitcoin standard. That's great. Um, Bitcoin hard money you can't F with is great. I mean, there's so many great books. Yeah. I'm working on writing a book, so that'll be out awesome. someday. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate that. And then I always like to end off with this question. What is your definition of success? Mm, <laughs> my definition <laughs> of success is uh, feeling happy and feeling free. Um, I think that if you're doing something that you're passionate about, that you enjoy, that doesn't feel like work, which I am grateful that I have right now. Um, I think that's really successful. And I think the ability to make choices and have opportunities, that sense of freedom, which, you know, we call Bitcoin freedom money. And I think freedom is just one of the most important, um, virtues and, and aspects of human life. And I, I think, I think freedom and hope are, are really critical to the human experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. A ton of great information, especially if you're just looking to understand the basics of of Bitcoin. So I, I really appreciate your insight. It was great. Thank you. As you can tell, Natalie has dedicated her life to making sure the financial system improves to help every human being in the world and not just the 1%. She is the prime example that when a life calling comes your way, you need to come at it with full force and have the faith that it will work out in order to impact others around you. She is a very Googleable person, so a simple Google search of Natalie Brunel will give you all the information to find more of her content. You can also find her on Twitter where she has built a following of almost a quarter of a million people at Nat Brunel. And follow me on Instagram, Lenny underscore Pisano to stay up to date on new episodes. And I hope that this helped you on your journey for success.